for being so sovereign in our lives. I thank you for being our alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, you are king of kings and you are Lord of lords and there is none like you. There is none higher. There is only one beside you. And that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Lord, please just accept our heart postures of worship. Accept our efforts, Lord God, of excellence and integrity. Lord, please give us the strategy, the wisdom, the insight so that we can continue to do your work with excellency, Lord God. And I just thank you that um, you are with us every step of the way that you are leading, guiding and directing us in this exact moment. We totally decrease and die to our flesh to where there is none of us and only you. So Holy Spirit flow. Do what you do best. Think through our minds. Speak through our lips. Give us the tongue of the learn so that you are glorified and your people are good. So you can speak through us now, God. Let us have fun, but also let us be full and feast on your word, your truth and your provision. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. I, I think I requested you on IG and I think it's like going to be right this time. Okay. Hey, y'all. Okay. Is there, okay. okay, never mind. I tried. I think that you just gotta mute your computer. I put my headphones in on my phone so that it wouldn't be sound. Oh, an echo. That was smart. What happened? It still echoed? Yeah, that's what just happened. It's just still echo. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. All right, next time. Yeah. So me and Dana are super excited to be with you guys today once again. Um, we decided to make this a Thursday thing. Oh, let's make that the title of it. Nope. All right. Go for you. I wanted it to be a Thursday thing. That's kind of cute. That okay. is cute. A Thursday thing. That is the title of our Thursday live streams is a Thursday thing. So we are super. Oh, it's going to be a thing because I'm from the Midwest. So it's going to be a Thursday thing. And I'm super excited to join. I mean, have you guys join us today. Um. And so we're just going to get to it. We're just going to give you guys what God has given us. And then we're going to pray out like that's what, how we're going to do it. So I'm going to let Dana kick it off. And then we're going to while I try to get Instagram to see Dana's face. And then we're just going to go from there. So yesterday I was in devotion and the like verse of the day on the Bible app was in Luke, obviously because we're leading up to Resurrection Sunday and tomorrow is Good Friday. And today is actually uh, foot washing Thursday. And so I was in just, I was just in Luke because I felt led to just stay there and really reflect on the last moments of Christ leading up to his crucifixion. And for some reason it also just jumped out at me when it was the verse of the day the rest of the day was like Luke 22 something, but something led me to read the whole chapter. And that chapter, I believe, starts with the Last Supper or right when Judas is about to betray Jesus. And that's something that God is speaking, has been speaking to me for about three, four years now is how to deal with betrayal. But um, so that's why it stood out to me. So I just read the whole chapter and I was just really into it and receiving new things that I've never Seen, even though I've read it multiple times and we do this every year and I've been in church since I was literally born. So I've literally heard this story multiple times, but it was just still something new. So anyway, I'm in Luke, yeah, having a good time. Then I get up and I go to the kitchen to like make breakfast or something. And literally as I'm coming back from the kitchen, 
My Bible is on the couch and I see literally the pages flip. Mm. And so I'm like, wait, the pages flipped on their own? On their own, bro. I'm, I'm in the kitchen, like a good 10 feet away. But I get out at the same time to see the pages turn. So it's so funny because me and my best friend was just talking about having experiences in the supernatural. And he hates supernatural experiences because they quote unquote creep him out. And that's actually been one of the hindrances to him walking fully in his gift. But anyway, neither here nor there. Oh Lord, he gonna join her like she's telling all my business. <laughs> but um, he said, like when we had this conversation about him, he said, yeah, but it's easier for you to say those things because you like that supernatural stuff. And I realized that I do. Okay. Uh, like demonic, I enjoy. So I accept and embrace when supernatural experiences come. But when I saw that page just flip and turn, you know, a normal person might've been like, what's bruh, going on? Bruh. But I was just like, okay, cool. Hey God. <laughs> yeah, turn too. We're, we're not supposed to read. And also this is not the first time something like this has happened. So I'm like, okay, cool. This is either a breeze because my window was open. So God sent the breeze to turn the pages or God to read and here flipping pages. Either way, God want me to read something else. So I come back to the Bible and it's on John. And the way my Bible is set up, it's like really small print. So there's like a lot of chapters just in two pages. So I'm like, all right, God, you flip me to this page which stands John 13 to John 18, where do you want me to read? Or do you want me to read the whole thing? And he's like, nah, go to 18. So I go to John 18 and it starts on basically the same thing in what I was reading in Luke. It starts with the portrayal of Judas leading up into the final moments and um, Christ's crucifixion, obviously um, a brief moment of some of his last words, John kind of just skims through that. Um, his death, obviously his resurrection. But what really stood out for me in reading John 18, I didn't stop there. I was intrigued and I kept going. So I was like, okay, Spirit wants me to keep going. So I'm, I wanna read in the rest of John starting from 18. So I went from 18 to 21. But, but what really stood out to me is the final moments with his disciples before his ascension. Uh -huh. And I think we, or I at least, have had the experience where people skip over that. You know, of course, we talk a lot about the death, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and then we skip and go to Acts 2, and we talk about his ascension and the Holy Spirit's descension on Pentecost. Right. There was 40 or 50 days in between his yeah. and Pentecost. And in that time, he wasn't just chilling. Like, he was, you know, going down to hell, doing the standard third, but he also spent time with his disciples on earth. And mm -hmm. that's something that, you know, you know he did, but I never really sat and reflected in those moments. And so yesterday I did, and I received a few things from that that I think the Lord wanted me to share, hence him flipping the pages to John. Um, so I just had four bullet points. One is really brief. Two, one of them is really brief. And another one is really where the crux of it is at, I think. Okay. But the, so if, I think I'm starting in John 20. Mm -hmm. which he uh, is like um, coming and finally revealing himself to the people that he left. It starts off with like him revealing himself to Mary Magdalene, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, in John 20 in verse, I think nine, Oh no, sorry. In John 20, verse 27. That would be dope if I could put the scriptures on the screen. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get that together at some point. Yeah, amen. 
And um, yeah, starting at 27 is where uh, the disciple Thomas gets his name, Doubting Thomas. Mm -hmm. And actually, I think that's verse 25. Yeah, 25. And the other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, and this is Thomas, unless I see his hands, the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. <laughs> and so uh, going down to, okay, so and after eight days, the disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the door being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Yeah, me too. And then in 27, then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but be believing. And, uh, and then Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Mm. And so here is so easy for us to look down and come up with the name Doubting Thomas. But it just revealed to me that one hindsight is 2020. Yeah. We're saying that having read the Bible and having read the story, but how many of us in that moment would have been just like Thomas? Like straight up without hindsight vision, how many of us are like, have seen God work miracles, but still when it comes to us and ourselves or our circumstances, we're still full of doubt, like, well, until I see it come to pass, I'm not gonna believe it. Until this sickness is cured or healed, I'm not gonna believe it. Or, you know- What about when God does things for us and then we somehow forget when we're facing another test, trial or tribulation, like he ain't already delivered us before. Right. So even just in hearing the miracles or like you said, experiencing the miracles prior to in our lives, once another one comes, how many of us really are like, I want to feel the nails in your hand. I want to feel the piercing in your side. And so we have to be cognizant of the fact that, or more lenient in the fact that hindsight is 2020, but realize that God calls us to have faith in the now. Yeah. Because then it goes on to say, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Plus there are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Mm. and it's like the word tells us straight up that one faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen and that's the um esv version and i really mm. like this version because it uses the word assurance and conviction mm. and it's like thomas only had conviction for what he could see thomas only had conviction for what he could feel but literally the word tells us to be um have conviction for the things that are not seen and so if faith are the things that are not seen, we really have to walk by faith and not by sight. And that means walking is present tense. It's not, yeah, I walked by faith now that I know that I'll be healed. You have to walk presently in the now in faith and not just rely on your hindsight in 2020, your hindsight 2020 vision. Yeah. And well, I want to say something about faith because my mm -hmm. church is like super big on faith. Like I'm talking about even on our pamphlet, like the little church pamphlet that they give people when they enter into church. It literally says, for we walk by faith, not sight. Like that's our thing, um, that scripture. And my um, pastor, he always says this, like faith is act as if. Like faith is defined as act as if. 
And so whatever it is, like you're acting as if it's already done, meaning because a lot of times we don't act or do certain things if we don't believe that it's going to be fruitful or we don't believe um, in its truth or we don't have the assurance or confidence in it. And so that it just makes me think like if faith is acting as if it's already done, this is why we're called acting and faith are both um, verb like verbs, action words. Um, and so it's requiring for us to, like you said, walk, which is the act of doing it, like moving forward consistently, like not based off of what we've experienced or what we've seen, but in belief that we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to come approach it or that thing that we're believing or that thing that we're confessing or the thing that we have this confidence and assurance in, like we're going to see that thing as as we continue to move forward, we're going to see the manifestation or like the physical manifestation of whatever that faith thing is. So even if it's God, like believing in God, like we're believing in the unseen. Of course, we're believing based off of the scriptures or based, based off of our personal convictions. But at the end of the day, we're, we're putting our hope, our assurance, our confidence in something that we have not tangible, tangibly in the natural scene or touched or put our fingers into the holes in his hand right just moving forward in faith moving forward in belief moving forward in his confidence and and in this assurance that at the end of the at the end of this road i do believe that i'm going to see him like i do believe that i'm going to be in heaven with him but that it just requires us to continue to move forward but also to continue to believe despite what it looks like or even how we feel and so when you say like the faith is moving it's a it's a now action like um what what scripture is that like faith is now the oh wait that's still hebrews 11 1 like faith is now the substance of but we can stop right there faith is now or now faith is it's a present it's an ever-present word it's an ever-present action it's an ever-present belief system it's something that we have to consistently like remember that faith is now now is faith faith is now now is faith faith isn't then faith isn't soon to be but faith is now that's so interesting because they definitely do start off at least the new king james and i'm sure in the other versions hebrews 11 one with now faith is so yeah, that was what I received from that because we can't, like you said, um, not only is it a now thing, but we also just have to check where we're putting our faith and our assurances because if you're putting your assurance in the things you see, you're walking by sight. And that's what scripture told us to do. And so even if it's not a, a now, like even if you have to build yourself up to the now, just build up your faith, increase your faith and then decrease the doubt, or increase the faith and silence it out. And that is an active thing you have to do because we are natural beings and we um, move in the natural. So it is natural for us to want to go by what is natural, but you have to go past that first step of natural and go into the second, which is the spiritual and realize that you are called and you operate as spiritual beings. And that means walking by the unseen and in the now. So yeah. That was the first thing I got from that. Cause I'm sure there's a lot of doubt in Thomas's and we all have doubt in Thomas's moments. And it's kind of arrogant for us to call him doubt in Thomas. <laughs> Absolutely. Like we can't relate. Like he just Thomas, bro. <laughs> like, like he, like we the only, like he's the only person that ever questioned. I but, think one of the biggest things that I feel like we got to take note of is that like we all go through doubting moments. Mm -hmm. If, and I remember uh, Andy Minio, he one of my favorite rappers. Andy Minio says in one of his songs, the opposite of faith ain't doubt. 
that's when I had it all figured out. And basically what he was saying is like a lot of times in today's society or in sermons, even like they're always saying, like, you can't you can't have faith and doubt at the same time. And the sermon, he was playing like uh, clips of some woman. I don't even know who it was. It wasn't Joyce Myers, but I don't know what the woman sermon or whose sermon it was or who the woman preacher or whatever was. But one of the things that she literally said in that sermon was that when we doubt, it isn't that we don't believe because how can you doubt in something that you don't believe isn't real? So our doubt isn't negating that we don't have faith or that we don't have belief. Like we know that God is real. That's why if we get angry at him or if we feel like the reason why we're doubting is because we feel like God, you ain't come through for me. It ain't like, well, I don't believe that God is real. Or I'm like, we're not doubting God. We're not doubting his presence. We're just doubting like, yo, God, you about to do this for me? You coming through again? Or and some even if we do doubt, like there have been times where I know people have doubted if God is a real God. And even in doubting, that means that there is some like little glimpse of hope that there is a reality that there is a God. And that little bit of faith, like that that little bit of faith, that little bit of belief, that little bit of hope is enough. Like faith as small as a mustard seed. As soon as you receive salvation, you get a measure of faith. And that little bit of faith, even in the midst of doubt, will continue to hold you through as you continue to journey and build your relationship with God. So it's, it's okay. And a lot of times, I'm gonna let you go to your next point. But a lot of times we say, I'm not going to question God or I don't want to question God. But I don't think and I, this is 30 year old Cassandra. Like, I don't think that there's anything wrong with questioning God. Asking God why or asking God how or asking. It doesn't mean that you're going to get an answer, but you holding that question in because you don't want to question God can leave you in this place of emptiness that can then, of course, birth bitterness or doubt or church hurt or disappointment in God because you feel like, well, I can't question God, but you're, you're also now not harboring those feelings because you don't want to question him. You're not harboring those feelings. And God, he looked like our desperation moves him, our broken hearted, our contrite hearts move him. Like he is, he doesn't want us to act like we're perfect or holier than thou, or that we got it all figured out, or that it's always working out for, our, like, we know that it's always working out for our good, but it doesn't always feel good. And then, so for us to, I guess what I'm trying to say for us to then like, well, I don't want to question God, but then still harbor those feelings of unforgiveness. You might as well have just asked him the question. So he could have at least, even if he didn't bring you an answer, he could have brought you some comfort. But now you're letting that unforgiveness turn into bitterness or a hardened heart towards God when you could have just questioned him, asked him, and he could have either provided you with an answer or provided you with a solution, which could have been the healing or the instruction for you to move forward. And in those times when we uh, had little faith and we recognize it, not only should you feel like you have the ability to question God, but you also have to recognize that you can ask God for more faith and yeah. have to increase your faith and to silence your disbelief. Because you cannot do that on your own. I mean, maybe you're, you're that strong-willed where you'd be like, all right, I'm not going to doubt no more. Okay, maybe. But then you also have to recognize that, okay, God, while I'm doubting you, while I'm waiting on your answer, while I'm questioning you, 
while I'm in this storm, while I am, you know, feeling uneasy, speak to my faith. And then he will bring situations into your life. He will bring words into your life through his word. He will bring people into your life that will increase your faith. He might give you dreams or whatever. He might speak to you or he will speak to you and do things that will help to increase your faith in those times while you are uh, of little faith. Well, I think the scripture, the Bible is our instruction manual. And so even in the scripture, it says, Father, I believe, help my unbelief. So even then, it doesn't mean that we're not going to have moments of doubt. But like like you said, like immediately when that doubt comes, rebuke that thing or ask God to give you the faith and the help so that you can move forward. Because and I say this all the time, like if faith moves forward, like faith, we walk by faith. So if faith is moving forward, then fear freezes you. But so can doubt. And I'm gonna let you go ahead and see your next point. And if you just have to use the blueprint, which is the word, because I was looking for it, but it's either in Luke or John, because that's where I was yesterday. But it says, like, the, the disciples hadn't yet had the scriptures. So they didn't have no blueprint. So that's another reason Thomas was doubting in this whole hindsight 2020. We have the Bible, so we have 2020 vision. Uh, but they didn't. So why won't you take advantage of the advantages you have? My God, that's good, friend. And so then the second point I had came to was when I got into uh, chapter 21, which is when the disciples had decided to go fishing uh, in the Sea of Tiberias. And at this time, Simon Peter, who was Peter, and I think six or seven other disciples went with him, or five or six of the disciples went with him. They went out into the sea to go fishing and they didn't catch anything. And it was Peter's idea. He was like, I'm going fishing. He was like, all right, we'll come with you. All right, cool, whatever. So they went fishing overnight. They didn't catch nothing. And next morning, Jesus is going to shore. And they see him and they recognize him that time. And when I was reading some commentary for that chapter, some critics actually criticized the disciples for going fishing hmm. because they said, you know, I, when Jesus first called the disciples in the beginning of their ministry, Peter and some of the others were actual fishermen. And so Jesus called them while they were out fishing. And they said, uh, and Jesus said to them, like, you're fishermen, but come be fishers of men. Follow me. Yeah. And then they followed Christ. And then they never went back to fishing fish. They went to fishing souls for Christ. And the whole three-year ministry with Jesus walking on earth, they were following him. And they were not fishermen. They were fishers of men. So then the critics are saying like, okay, as soon as Jesus left y'all, y'all went right back to your old ways, your old habits and doing the old things, even though God already told y'all to be fishers of men and not fishermen. And so I don't have any, um, I'm not saying that that's what I believe. I'm just saying that's what some of the critics said. And that just really made me come to my second reflection of examining what you're doing while you're waiting on God. Mm. Do you go back to your old ways and your old habits or do you at least do the last thing that God told you to do? Because the last thing God told them to do or that they seen him do was be fishers of men. That's so good. Even though he's not here, why did they not continue to be fishers of men and tell the same or preach the same gospel? Uh, why did they go back to being fishermen? However, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing per se, because also in um, Luke 22, which is where I started off, in verses 35 through 37, Jesus said to the disciples, when I sent you without money bag, scrip, or knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? And the disciples said, nothing. Then Jesus said to them, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it, and likewise a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. 
And basically he was telling them that, you know, these past three years when we were on this earth, there was a lot of charity where people provided for us. And I told you as the Lord, I will provide for you. So they didn't need any provision. They didn't need any money. They didn't need their script, which was their knapsack, which is what people used back in the day to carry food when they were traveling. So they didn't need food. They didn't need money. They didn't need garments because everything was provided, which was why when Jesus asked them, he said, did I not say I would provide? Did you ever go without lack? They're like, no. But then he told them straight up like, all right, but now go get your money back. Go get your script. If you don't got a sword, sell your garments and buy one. So he's telling them you're about to start to having, like there's about to be a shift and things are about to change. They need to yeah. adapt to it. So when I read that they went back to fishing in chapter 21 in John, I was like, okay, maybe they think that now they got to go get their own food because God told mm. them. So it's also from my perspective or for other, other, another perspective is that, you know, they were still doing what God instructed them to do and that's providing. And so I want to say one of the one of the things on that, though, because even we know that that can speak to a lot of times when we're personally like going through things, we go back to that place of familiarity mm-hmm. and which is what you're saying. Like, OK, well, my savior is gone. So let me go ahead and go back to like providing for myself. But I think that they can even speak to because we can all relate to that when we don't know how to move forward. We go back to that old thing. But I think that they can also speak to the fact that did they trust or, or believe what God said? Because when Jesus was there, he was there, basically their provider. He was giving them all of that instruction. And so he obviously gave them instruction like, you know, when I leave, like all of this stuff is going to happen and you need to continue to do these things. However, when they got to this place where, where he was no longer there, even though if I'm not mistaken, because I read the chapters last night, too, didn't they go? Was didn't they go fishing after he revealed himself to them? No, that wasn't that was like, in the like days before. Yeah, he had the whole moment with the doubting Thomas and whatnot. That was all before this, so he had already revealed himself, which is why he revealed himself the next morning on the shore. They recognized him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So because that's what I was thinking. Like a lot of times, we people can get afraid, and I th- I don't want to say that they got afraid. I feel like they just went back to what they knew. But I also feel like you know when Jesus was there with them, he was giving them every little instruction, like go do this, go do that. And now they had to like do this thing for themselves. So they like, well, let me go back to what I know, not realizing like that same God that was giving you that instruction in the physical sense, like. You still need to live by that. And I think that that's what you were saying. Like when in Luke, they were specifically like he specifically told them, like, you got to go and provide for yourself now. But there were also times where he was taking two fish and five loaves of bread and feeding over five thousand people. So now that my miracle worker is gone, do I have to like is do I have to result and go back to what I once did? That's why I think that it's just important that whichever. um perspective you take or if you take another perspective whether you look at it uh critically by saying they went back to old ways and old habits when they already had instructions to do something else or if you look at it as them following the instructions and providing for themselves back in familiarity in familiarity either way i think you have to just really when you're in that limbo season because we all get in limbo seasons you're going to be in a season where you don't feel like you're hearing from God. You don't feel the presence of God. You're not on fire from God. You feel like he ain't answering. You feel like you can't hear him. Whatever it is, you're not going to always feel like God is sitting in front of you telling you, take this left turn, make this right turn, take this job, buy this check, buy this bag. There's going to be moments where you don't feel like that. And so in those moments where you're expectantly waiting with faith and those times when doubt tries to creep in, 
do you allow the doubt to creep in and then go back to your old ways? Because it's like, well, he ain't going to do this. So let me go back to that. Like, I was even thinking of your testimony, which I'm going to share because I'm sure you've shared it before, where, like, where God told you to go to be a full-time entrepreneur. And then there came that season of doubt where it was like, okay, I'm not getting provided for right in front of me like God used to. I'm not hearing God as clearly because he's not sitting right next to me like he used to. So maybe I need to go back and get a nine to five. When it was like, but the last thing God told you was to go into full-time entrepreneurship. So do you, in this time of silence, or feeling like he's not there because it's really just a feeling because you know that he's always there. But we do have those feelings. In those times, do you go back to your old ways and habits because of doubt? Do you go back to your old ways and habits because you think he's not there? Or do you do the last thing he told you to do out of faith? Or do you think he told you one thing and you're doing something out of familiarity? familiarity? So it's really not like to critique anybody's movement, but just to tell you to examine yourself because maybe you are going and reverting and regressing back into a wilderness that God called you to get out of and you're just going back there because you're lost and confused. Or maybe you're just in a comfort zone that God called you out of, but you're going back to it. Or maybe you are following instructions. And one of the things that I really feel like we need to take note of, though, is that even when they went back, whether they went back for because there was their comfort zone, whether they were just trying to follow the last thing God told them, like whatever, whatever their reason for going back or the last thing Jesus had told them to do or their last place of provision, like whatever their reason for going back, it's super important for us to know that Jesus still met them there. Mm-hmm. He met them even in the midst of that uncertainty or even in the midst of that decision, even when they were being unfruitful, like they weren't even being fruitful and going back to that old place. They weren't even like you You went back to fishing and they catch no fish. You went you went back to fishing and you ain't catch no fish. So now what? And it what that's that's another thing. So now you went back to this old thing. And it still was unfruitful because you were doing it in your own strength. And so if anything, if even if we cannot fully get that revelation of why they went back, (laughs) like we know that they were unsuccessful and unfruitful in that thing. But when Jesus showed up and they started doing it with him, like with God, all things are possible. Like like it say on my wall and whatever, like like it say on my wall, like with God, all things are possible. So if they were to. As soon as Jesus arose or as soon as Jesus revealed himself and showed them like, yo, even even in the midst of your uncertainty, even in the midst of you going back and doing those things that I told you no longer to do or and then during a different season, I told you to do like you're unfruitful in it because it's probably not your season. Right. But I'm going to step in. I'm going to show you that I will never leave nor forsake you. I'm going to show you that even during unfaithful moments that I am still the God that provides for you, that I am still, still your way maker. I am still the person that gives you one word of instructions and it provides you an overflow of abundance. So whether you hear me clearly or you don't know what to do, whether you're uncertain or you feel like you're moving in purpose and with clarity, but it's still you're still being unsuccessful. I'm with you. I'm with you, daughter. I'm with you, son. I'm with you, my child. And so that's the same thing that God has spoken to me because I've been a full like you said, you didn't tell my testimony, but I've been a full time entrepreneurship since 2017. And I cannot tell you that it wasn't only God, but I mean, if I'm being super vulnerable and transparent, I don't even think that I ever questioned if I should be going back. It was people around me that were like influencing me or even like, you know, family members, friends or whatever. Like, well, maybe you should just get a part time or maybe you should, you know, just work this gig and get you some money really quickly. Or even outside of family members and friends, like I could, I, I probably have asked myself like during zero bank account moments, like looking at my bank statement, like, 
So God, I know this ain't the life that you had promised for me. And so, yeah, you are right. Like I did ask questions myself, like, God, did I move too quickly? Did I go out of your time? Am I supposed to go back? And I started doubting because I was moving based off of what I saw. Or I was moving based off of what others were saying, right? And over the course, it's almost three years. So over the course of two years, I can't tell you how many times I asked that question. Even in moments of success, like, oh, my business is good now. And people are like, yeah, but you still need another source of money coming in. You still, you never need. I'm like, yo, God didn't tell me this. Like, yo, God didn't tell me this. God didn't tell me this. And then I'm starting like, because they're trusted advisors. Well, wait, God, did you tell me this? Should I be doing this? Because now doubt is like coming up and fear is coming up. So I want to be obedient to God. But what I'm trying to get to is like, even when we do not know, God is still there. God is still providing. He is still making sure that he is making ways out of no ways. What's Travis' favorite song? Uh, There's no fire. (laughs) Tasha Hands. Tasha Tasha Kyle's, uh, you know my name? You know my name. Yes. Yep. No fire can burn me. No battle can turn me. No mountain can stop me because you know, because you hold my hand and I'm walking by your power because your victory lives within me. No giant can defeat me because you know my name. And that's the same thing. Like God is with us in the fire. We see that he's with us in the lion's den. He's with us through our words that we can speak to the mountain. And as long as we do not have doubt, doubt, it can be removed. Like God is always with us. He's with us in the midst of uncertainties. He's with us in the midst of bankruptcies. Like, I mean, I never had that, but I'm just saying like he with us, like he with us when we on food stamps. I've been on food stamps before. So good. But like all these things, like God is with us every single step of every single journey and every single moment. Just to let you know, like, yo, I ain't leave you and I ain't never stopped talking either. You just stopped listening because your doubt consumed your mind. And so because your doubt had so much cloudiness and confusion, you couldn't hear me. But guess what? I was still talking and I'm still with you. Put the net down. Just put the, what do you say? Put the net down to the right of the boat. Down the right of the boat. Now, what if they would have dropped it on the left hand side? I ain't even going to go there. But yeah, that goes into the rest of the what she was saying goes into what happened in the rest of the chapter. He tells them to cast in that down on the right hand, the right side of the boat. And then and uh, immediately it's like overflowing with fish. I think some people say 153, but basically it's so much fish that they we would think that it would have broken the net, but it didn't break the net. That's another word. An abundance. An abundance that don't break. It won't break you. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you a question about this. I know that you got two more points, but I wanted to ask you a question, like, and being totally honest. So I was, I actually, prior to you telling me that, you know, you had been reading John, I was actually in Matthew. So I was reading Matthew's account. And I really loved John's account of this because I feel like he goes into way more detail. And one of the things that I feel like out of those chapters, I was, what was it, John 17 through 21 that we read, that it will always say, like, the disciple that Jesus loved. Yes, and that's John. Okay, I just wanted to make sure it was John because a lot of people about stuff like that, and then me, the one that Jesus loves. I had to read commentary too. I was like, "Who is he referring to?" Yo, yo, I said, "Hold up!" He like the one that Jesus loved. I'm like, John talking about himself, like. Because at first I was like, "Oh, Peter," but then I would see that they named Peter by name, so I'm like, "So who this?" Yo, I said, okay, now who went to, so I'm over here trying to figure out, I'm like, so who went to the mountain with him? I was like, it was Peter, James, and John. And so then I started thinking because I remember that John gets beheaded 
So I was like trying to think about like the chronicle chronological order of the history book, which is the Bible. I'm like, yo, did John get beheaded before Jesus died? Like I'm, I'm, I was trying to make it make sense because I did not understand this man talking about some the the one that he loved and the one that laid his head on his book on his chest. I'm like, yo, is John talking about himself right now? Because I. I need I need to know, guy. Make make it make sense, please. Why would he ever talk to himself like that? And then it, it then it hit me, Cassandra. Like, don't judge my life, y'all. But all the way in high school, my signature on my cell phone because when we used to do cell phone signatures, used to be like God's favorite. And so that's the heart posture that we should always be taking. Like, I know for a fact that Trav probably thinks that he's God's favorite. Like, he stays singing, you know my name. But we should all think that we God's favorite. Like, we are favored by God. He hand-selected us. Like, he chose us. We're called by God. Like, I'm God's favorite. I know I'm his favorite daughter. But, you know, you can't be too, Dana. But nevertheless, like, we should all have that heart posture. We should all have that mentality. Because when you know that you're somebody's favorite, when you know that you have favor with somebody, you move a little differently. Like, let's just get that down. Like, I know I'm joking around, but you move a little differently when you know that you have favor with people. Like, I know that I have a special relationship with my granny. I know my cousins also follow me on Facebook. So, you know, y'all got special relationships with granny, too. Like, I ain't saying I'm her favorite, but, you know. But nevertheless, like, I know that I can call grandma and certain things will be released to me without hesitation. Like, I know that I can go home and like I went home what two weeks ago and I just call her like, hey, granny, we on the road surprising you. We coming home to visit. And she she literally called back and was like, hey, I'm making a peach cobbler just awaiting your arrival. And so that's the type of heart posture that we need to know that we have with God. Like we are his favor. We have special favor with God. And so when we have that understanding, we can move a little differently. We don't have to be fearful. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to, you know, allow fear to overcome us when we are in the midst of uncertain. Like my dad got me like I'm a king's kid. Like my dad has me. And so it's just like a, a parent and a mother's love or a father's love and that protection that we have from our earthly parents. How much more would our father in heaven not provide or not protect or not make sure that we have everything that we need when we need it? And then it affects how you speak of yourself because John ain't even calling himself by name. He's saying the one that Jesus loves. So it affects how you not only speak on yourself, but how you see yourself. So people who deal with depression or self-doubt or they um, doubt their self-worth, when you start speaking in the manner and in the identity that you have, it changes your own perspective. Uh -huh. And it's all confusing everybody else because I was like, who? Bruh, I, I sure was like, now who, who, who is his favorite? I need to know. I said, now Peter, James, John. And I said, well, wasn't James his little brother? Like, I started trying to go too deep. I said, Cassandra, it's about to be midnight. Like, you, you got to wrap this up, my child. Go ahead, next point. It was a, this was one of the quicker points, but it's kind of real for me, especially in this season. But after God tells them to cast the net down or whatever, Peter actually straight jumps off the boat and was like, oh, it's Jesus. And he like goes, he leaves them on the boat and he goes and swims to them while the rest of them wrote to him. And it just showed um, one, Peter's eagerness and love for Christ. But what stuck out to me is it shows his physicality. Like swimming is not easy. My God. A boat with your outer garments on because he puts his outer garment on. So swimming with your clothes on, especially 
ain't easy. And he swims to shore. And obviously they weren't, they were close enough to shore. I think it tells you how far they were exactly. Yeah. But they were not close enough that he had to swim some kind of some kind of distance. And after they cast the net down and they go onto the shore, they see God already had fish for them. So God already provided for what they thought they needed to provide for themselves, but that's neither here nor there at this point. That's so good though. But then Jesus goes and tells them, well, go get the fish that y'all got anyway. And then Peter straight goes and gets it himself. So he's now dragging a net that has a multitude of fish that some people say is 153. But this net obviously has to be so heavy because by natural account, we think that the net should have broke. So this thing has to weigh some kind of, has some kind of heaviness to it. And Peter straight goes and brings it himself. So walking with Christ also requires some kind of physicality. And while we always like to look at walking with Christ in the spiritual because it's a spiritual journey, we're still natural beings and we're still in the natural. And if you, we're, not, we're told not to, we're told that we have to run and not grow weary. And that is um, usually spoken to from the spiritual, but straight up, what if you're called to run literally physically and you're going to grow weary because you're out of shape? Like, run the race with endurance. Now, although that is we're speaking to the race of faith, you don't need faith when you die. Let's be real. You don't need faith when you die. You need faith when you are here on earth. And, and so on earth living unfit, unhealthy. And then look at the current season we're in. Coronavirus really affects or impacts those who have preconditions. So you're going to put yourself in a dangerous or put yourself in a risk factor in a dangerous position because you already have these pre-health conditions. And if God calls us to live a life and live it more abundantly, I'm sure that don't mean with diabetes. I'm sure that don't mean with I'm sure that doesn't mean with these things that we can affect and change. Like you can affect your blood pressure. You can affect if you're certain a certain type of diabetes. And I have a friend, hey, Courtney, who literally runs. And that's a part of her purpose and her call. And she's running marathons all around the world. What if God's mission for you is to be a missionary and you're supposed to go out into certain parts of the world that don't got trains, cars, and buses, and you got to walk everywhere? What in the physical are, how physically fit are you? What in the physical are you doing to prepare yourself for God's call? Because let's not think that we only have to work on the spiritual. So, Me and Dana talk about this all the time. We literally, we would say to each other, like, I promise you for like two or three years, we'd be saying this, like, I got to get fit for the fight. Like, we we literally text this to each other. Like, I got to get fit for the fight to the point where if it stems from one of Bishop T.D. Jake's sermon to where when I started saying that, to, I think she came to me and texted me like a whole, we'd be texting like book stories to each other. And then I responded like, girl, that remind me of this sermon that I heard some years ago. I went and found the sermon and she was like, no, absolutely. And although, of course, he was talking about faith and uh, talking about the battle, we were also talking about the physicality that's required of you to be fit for the fight. Like life is a fight. Faith is a fight. Like, and so let's say that I'm going to speak to ministry and then I'm going to speak to the practical. Let's say that you are called to ministry, which we all are. It may not look like you going live on social media. It may not look like you being in a pool pit. It may not look like you being out here some, on some Tasha Cobb stuff or some Sarah Jakes Roberts or some Joe Austin. Like, you know, ministry for you can look totally different. But we have to take note that it says, go preach the gospel to all the world. So all of us are called to ministry. I think that even Michael Todd, I haven't listened to it, listened to it yet, but he's teaching a series about how we are all ministers in our own right. And what we, what God has specifically called us to do, like our great commission and how we can do that every day. Like obviously love being of service, giving generously. Like these are different things that are part of ministry. Right. And so if we are called to do whatever it is that God has called us to do, but we aren't fit for the fight or we're too tired or we're not ready. Like what if 
God calls you to do something in ministry or natural, whatever, and it requires you to get up early and go to sleep late. But and you're able to do that. But you feeding yourself with chips and cookies and cakes. And so you're not feeding yourself with the right sugars. So by the end of the night, you're so drained. And then you got to wake up in a few hours later because you one haven't been working out. You haven't been eating right. You haven't been having the uh, correct amount of intake of water. So you're not able to do the work that God called you to do. Or you do it because his grace is sufficient, but you're so drained physically that you ain't even able to do the work spiritually that's required. What if God tells you that you need to be praying every day at 3 a.m.? Right. But it's a struggle for you to even get out the bed because you are so mentally exhausted or physically exhausted because of your everyday routine. That when it comes time for you to do the spiritual work that God has called you to do, you haven't been taking care of your natural body. Because although like uh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is flesh is weak like that scripture. But you you can build up your flesh for it not to be so weak. Like you can put certain routines in place and you can put certain tasks into your I don't want to say your curriculum, but into your routine to where when God tells you to do something, you're able to do it. And it's not so much of a stretch. I remember I was in a I was in a um, conference season where I, I promise y'all, God, not only was I doing my conference and my conference was on tour. I was speaking at other people's conferences. I was traveling and I realized that God was trying to prepare me. He was trying to prepare me for having my own conference. He was trying to prepare me for the marathon of ministry on that level. And although I wasn't out here quoting scriptures, I was actually helping people birth their business. Nevertheless, it was ministry. He was trying to prepare me when I used to work for a motivational speaker for three years. And I used to travel with her and we used to go to these conferences and I would be so burnt out after these conference marathons with her because we wasn't eating right. We wasn't getting an adequate amount of sleep. I wasn't drinking enough water. I was just go, 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 go. And then by the time I got to New back to New York, I would be out. And so then come 2017, 2018, I'm doing my own conferences and speaking at other people's conferences. And then I'm like, oh, God was preparing for preparing me for this this whole time. Like, I'm good. I'm fit for the fight. And after my conference, I'm drained again. Because I didn't learn in that season. I didn't learn the lesson that I needed back then for my now. Now, I hope that I'm better than when God releases me and I start back my stuff. I learned because I done went through two tests of it. But at the end of the day, like Dana said, I didn't even think of that. When I read that scripture, I was more so concerned about, I said, why did he put his clothes back on and go swimming? Because I think one of the commentaries said it was, you know, back then you couldn't be naked because, you know, reverence, you had to be clothed. So and that's what I figured. Christ naked. Yeah. But what I just kept hearing while you were talking is discipline. And that's why I also said specifically for this season, I, that stuck out for me because I think in this season, God is building discipline while we have this um, current condition. And so the discipline that you need to be building now for when we get out of this season, which will be sooner than you think, that discipline already has to be set in place. So it's like, he gave you this time where you can have where you have less excuses and how to build your routines. He gave you the time where you can train your discipline. And if you think about it, they say what well, takes 28 days to go to habit. How long have you been in quarantine in America? About 28 days now, right? Yeah. So you should have been building. He gave you this season for you to be building better habits spiritually and physically. Like I've been trying to do two a day workouts at home and I've only been doing that for the past week. But just building in that discipline. Because like Cassandra said, once that next level comes, so when she has to do the things for her own conference, 
she can she should have been able to rely on what she learned in the last season so when we come out this season and god is calling you to greater or god is calling you to arise or god is calling you to now be presented what habits did you develop in this season and one of the that is calling us to develop is to to work on our discipline and not only exactly. because prayer is a discipline fasting is a discipline reading the bible is a discipline working out is a discipline getting proper sleep is a discipline any of those things are disciplines that we must discipline ourselves to properly do. And so we should be using this season to get not only spiritually fit, but physically fit and not just look at it as you're getting physically fit because it's the new trend on IG to do at home workouts because everybody going live and doing this, that, and third, but actually looking at it as I need to at least be implementing some kind of routine and schedule into where I know this is how much time I need to put aside for working out so that I can feel more energetic for when I get out the season and out the house. And now I have these things in place. So the physicality of we cannot brush aside. One of the things that I said to one of my friends when she first, because my life, I didn't realize like my life didn't have much of an adjustment because I've been working from home. Right. But one of the things that I realized with one of my friends is I it's like God had said it to me and then I said it to her. And I don't even know if I said it to you or not, but I had a strong sense of urgency, like when this first occurred, that we don't want to leave this season with regrets. Meaning at the end of this season, we don't want to look back and say something like, I wish I would have taken more advantage. And so I was and she was just like, no, that's so real. I feel the exact same way. And so taking advantage can look like can look different for different people. Me and Olivia was talking about that yesterday. She was like, I feel like we're on opposite ends of the spectrum. I feel like you're like super on fire and God is using you. And like, he's like activated you and you just like going full force in your business and ministry and social media and everything. She said, but then it's people on the other end of the spectrum where I feel like I rep where I'm represented. And she said that she feels like, you know, I'm kind of at this place of uncertainty well i don't know what in the world i'm supposed to be doing i'm uh, feeling a little stuck like i don't like to feel unproductive or unsuccessful but that's kind of like i'm seeking god like what you want me to do what you want me to do and then and then i told her and i think that there's this third person who is like that in between where there may be one end of the spectrum where you're like all right god it's go time like i've been activated i gotta go boo, 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 boo. and then there's this other end like yo god what you want me to do what you want me to do and then i feel like there's this middle ground of people who have been activated for so long that they're not necessarily questioning what they're supposed to do but in this season god has provided them in a lot of time to rest before they're reactivated i was gonna right? say like all the essential workers who are still at work or all the people who like you said their routine hasn't really changed much because this is their routine or things might have shifted in the natural meaning someone around you was sick or you were sick. So maybe this time might not be the time for you to implement discipline, but it's the time for you to get rest, both uh, mentally, spiritually, or mentally, spiritually, and physically. But this is a season where we have to look at our physicality, whether it be getting the rest or whether it be examining um, how we operate in crisis and uh -huh. we get rest in crisis or if it be implementing new schedules so that we get this discipline for when we get out this season. But somewhere in this season, we have to examine our physicality and how we can better our bodies because they are temples. Period.
Anyway, and so then my last bullet point, which was really the crux of it for me, but we're already at like 55 minutes, so I'm going to try and be fast. But uh, it gets to chapter 21, verse 18, where Jesus says to Peter, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify, that by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Mm. And really that just shows or it revealed to me, and maybe this is not everyone's um, destiny journey, but that we have to be crucified with Christ. And as we come up on this Good Friday and we think of the seven last words, we have to realize what it really means to be crucified for Christ and uh -huh. how that really means outstretching yourself, giving yourself away, and following Christ, because that's the last thing he says to Peter again. Now, this is the first thing he said to Peter, and this is the last thing he says, to, well, not the last last, but like the last, one of the last things we have in scripture that he says to Peter is follow me. That's what he told yeah. him, and that's what he told him in the end. And really, we have to just recognize that our walk in this relationship is about following Christ. And that doesn't mean following you. That doesn't mean following you, what you want, because if you are crucifying yourself and following Christ, it is no longer about you. Like he said, when you were when you were younger, you did what you wished, you did what you wanted. But now it's about outstretching yourself and following Christ and dying to the flesh, meaning dying to your desires, dying to your wants, dying to your ways and surrendering them to Christ in the spiritual and following him. And so then after that, after um, Jesus tells Peter to follow him, Peter's like, well, what about John? <laughs> and he sure enough did not crucify his flesh at that moment. He gets caught up thinking about somebody else and comparing oh. to somebody else. After Christ just straight told him, like, crucify yourself and follow me, he's like, all right, but what about John? Like the one you love. And he's just acting out of flesh. And God had to straight remind him again and say to him, what is it to you? Follow me. Why are you worrying about what the next person doing? Why are you worrying about the next person? Why are you worrying about your flesh? Why are you worrying about? And I think that's so much of what the church gets caught up in is worrying about the next person, whether it be that's the source of their church hurt because they were worried about what one person said about them. Who cares? Christ didn't say it. Or whether it be the source, the source of tension in the church because you worried about who's singing and who went. Who cares? That's not about Christ. Or, or the spirit of comparison. You compare, like, you look comparing churches, or you comparing gifts, or you comparing anointings. Like, first of all, the spirit gives to whom he sees fit, first and foremost. And what then, secondly, how Jesus straight said to Peter, What is it to you? <laughs> like, straight up, what is it to you? Absolutely nothing. Unless God told you go to that person and be worried about their business, what is it to you? And yeah. then, Jesus is gangster. It's so funny. If you some parts in the Bible, I should be laughing and like I'm using that in real life. But anyway, um, you, it's just really having to realize that it's not about us and that this walk is not about us. And once we get out, out of our own way and we let ourselves be crucified and we die on the cross, meaning we let our flesh be crucified and we follow Christ and we truly like let the immature, because he here compared it to being younger, let the immature selfish ways die mm -hmm. 
you have to let the I'm going to do what I want die because now you realize you're a follower of Christ. So it's really recognizing what it means to be a follower of Christ and making the decision to follow Christ. Wait, let me stop you there because I feel like he then gives us instruction too. Like this is the part that really stood out to me when he said he called him and he was like, yo, Simon. Well, I'm going to just call him Peter. He was like, yo, Peter um do you love me he's like yes lord you know that i love you and he's like feed my lambs mm-hmm. yeah and then the second time he asked him again like yo peter do you love me he's like yes lord you know i love you he's like yeah tend to my sheep so then he asked him again like for the third time peter do you love me and so peter started feeling some type of way because he said for the third time like do do oh shoot i forgot that instagram only got a certain amount of time all right, they'll be okay. And then um, for that third time, it says like Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. Like, you know that I love you. And so he said, feed my sheep. And so when when it all boils down, I feel like we know that in order to follow, follow Jesus, in order to follow God, in order to crucify our flesh, that that happens through what? That happens through love. That happens through the, the obedience that's attached to love. But he gives us specific examples of how to exude that love. That we exude that love through feeding my lambs, right? Tending to my sheep and feeding my sheep. There's a difference between a lamb and a sheep, right? Mm-hmm. Right. A sheep is, I'm going to not talk about real sheep and lambs because I don't really know them except for that we eat lamb, but I ain't never ate no sheep. But the difference between real sheep and lamb, or like the natural meaning of sheep and lamb is like he refers to sheep as the body of believers, which means that a lamb is an unbeliever. So to my knowledge, and that's based off of my revelation, and you can give me further clarity, clarity, Dana, if you receive something else. But he says, Feed my, he said, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, and feed my sheep. So just because somebody is an unbeliever, just because somebody doesn't have a full revelation of salvation or the access that they have that doesn't mean that we don't feed them but it does mean that we don't necessarily have to tend to them so when it says make make disciples of all men which is another part of like the great commission when he's telling us to make disciples of all men discipleship is when you're training and cultivating and spending time with to to help to develop somebody right it's not just like oh i'm telling you to do that thing and then it's doing it discipleship is more of a mentoring act so that people are obviously um, edified and equipped to go out and do the work. So he didn't say like, oh, tend to the unbeliever. It's more so like, no, feed them, give them what they need, like, you know, minister to them, witness to them, feed the homeless or, yeah, clothe the naked or whatever you need to do. But at the end of the day, which love all people, but make sure that you're spending that time cultivating my people so that then after they're done, you can go out they can go out and then keep on doing this. And so obviously I feel like a lamb can become a sheep. Does that make sense? Spiritually speaking. Um. <laughs> well, that was my revelation. Cause I'm like, yo, he said, feed the lamb, tan the sheep and feed my sheep. And so then I was like, well, I know that the sheep is he, he's referring to as the people is the body of Christ, the believers, but what is a lamb? Because if this is a part of the instruction, then we got to have understanding of what is a lamb and how can I feed them? I definitely think there was a different um, word in that instruction in the verses before, and I didn't have revelation on it, but I did note the difference in the mention of lamb and sheep. 
And I didn't focus on that. I thought God led me to focus on crucifixion. So I didn't study up on lamb and sheep. However, whenever I think of lamb, I think of one, they always were called to sacrifice lamb in the Old Testament. And I think of two, the fact that Jesus is called the lamb of God. So I don't know if I would say lamb is spiritually representative of unbelievers, maybe it's spiritually representative of sin. That mm -hmm. might make more sense because when you're sacrificing it, um, it was to cover the sin and Jesus being the lamb of God, the sacrifice of sin for us now. So maybe lamb represents sacrifice. That's all good, friend. I mean, I'm going to study this, but that's so good. So when he said, uh, feed my lamb. Because when I looked at the, the whole follow me, I, I was like, dang, he gives us instruction on how to follow him before he even tells us, like, do these things. And this is how you're going to follow me. Like, this is how you crucify your flesh and not being so concerned about the next person and showing love and feeding my people and tending to their needs. Yeah. I don't know why he said feed my lamb and then said feed my sheep. That's something I have to look deeper into. Mm -hmm. But definitely he did give Peter that instruction on what to do. And Peter, once again, got wrapped up in himself and wrapped up in what he wanted to get wrapped up in. And once we realize that as followers of Christ, you now do for Christ. So if you do what God told you to do, fit, feed and tend, and follow him, then you're constantly asking and speaking and thinking, well, what would Jesus do? But mm -hmm. we know that that's not what we tend to do. We tend to be like, well, what do I want to do? But we already know what we want to do ain't right. Cause we know we want to curse that person out. We know we don't want to tend to them. We know we don't want to feed them. We want to ignore them. We want, or we want to do worse than ignore them. We know we want to hurt their feelings. We know that we want to do selfish, ambitious things. Yeah. things. We know that what we want is never going to be what Christ wants because that's just the way the um, flesh and the flesh is against the spirit. And so that's why we have to crucify the flesh because if we are following Christ, that means we're not following the flesh. And the only way to do that is to kill it and to have it die, crucif crucify it. And realize that I think one way it's easier to crucify the flesh is constantly tell yourself it's not about you. I constantly mm -hmm. find myself in times where I don't want to talk to a person at all don't want to feed them, don't want to tend to them, rather ignore them or curse them out. And then I have to, I literally tell myself, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about me. And I move forward because I have to recognize that it's not about me. And a lot of us are selfish and arrogant and vain and think it's always about us. And it ain't. Stop. And even a lot of times where we come to God as like with these prosperity messages and increase my territory messages. Okay. What are we increasing your territory for? For you or for Christ? Like we recognize when it when are we doing things and when are we motivated by things for us and when are we motivated by things for Christ and while yeah. we might be seeking while they may be in Christ's purpose or will for you if the motivation behind it ain't right you ain't gonna get it and so we have to really just prepare ourselves to crucify the flesh. And we have to look at what Christ did leading up to his crucifixion and recognize that Jesus had to take himself into solitude and pray. And he prayed in agony. So it ain't going to be easy, especially the part of the call that God is calling you to. Like if God is calling you to something that has a stronghold on it, it's really going to require more than just you saying to yourself, it ain't about me. Like sometimes Sometimes things aren't that deep and I can just say it ain't about me and I can go ahead and do it. But some things, some things require to go into prayer earnestly in agony, 
Jesus was out there praying so hard, he started sweating blood. Yeah. Like, you had to pray to die to your flesh because your flesh is not going to want to die. So your flesh is not going to be like, all right, let me go crucify myself. That's not going to happen. Sometimes it can, like I said. Sometimes I can just tell myself an encouraging word and then work up the nerves to crucify my flesh and do something out of spirit. Sometimes we're so filled with the spirit that we're able to do those things. But when you're not filled, you have to pray yourself up to you are, until you are filled so you can then crucify yourself. And some things require more than the next. It might require fasting and prayer. It might require praying for a longer amount of time because some things have strongholds. But either way, we have to really check ourselves and look at our motivation and who we're following. And if we're following our flesh, which we're called to crucify, or if we're following Christ. I have a question. Can you read your first two um, bullets over again? Highlight hindsight is twenty twenty, but but God calls us to have faith in the now and examine what you do when you're waiting on God. And then number three was about the physicality and the discipline. You can read it. Read it three and four too. Um, the th third one was just being physically fit. And the fourth one was our crucifixion. I think that it's so funny that are not funny, but it's so prophetic that um, Peter was used in example three and four because we always look to Peter at like, I mean, the rock. Like we always look to, or I don't know about we, I'm going to say me, Peter, my boy. Like I'd be feeling like I'm like the girl version of Peter. Like he out here, he about, he about that Jesus life. And so I'm about that Jesus life. And so I'd be feeling like we about that same life. But nevertheless, like it's so funny to me or very prophetic to me that the discipline, the, the discipline came before the crucifixion, right? Where you said like they, he had to discipline himself, whether it's physically, mentally, financially or whatever, like the, the discipline that he had so that he could be physically fit to do what it is that he did, like jumping out of boat with his clothes on to go swim, to swim to Jesus, grabbing 153 fish in a freaking net and carry it to Jesus. And then for him to, God to tell him like, you know, tell my sheep, feed my sheep, I mean, feed the lamb, yeah, feed the lambs and then follow me. And then he's like, yo, but what about what about John? He's like, ain't nobody talking to you about John. Like that discipline that's required to crucify your flesh isn't easy. So I was just it really just the whole time that you was talking, I just kept on hearing about like Cassandra recap the order, recap the order, because a lot of times that we don't realize that discipline begins in the mind. Even when it comes to physical like physical discipline, it's, it's always mind over matter. The what if you put your mind to it, your body will follow in those actions. And so in my church, we always talk about how the enemy, his weapons of choice are thoughts, ideas and suggestions. So if you're gaining mastery of in your mind, mastery of your mind, then when it comes time when you're faced with challenges as far as comparison or jealousy or lust of the flesh, or disobedience or whatever it is that can be brought up against you, whatever thought, idea or suggestion. Sometimes it can, like like you said, sometimes you're like, it's not about me and you can move on. Other times it does take you to go and fast and pray and really see God about that thing. But at the end of the day, both of them, whether it's like, okay, it's not that big of a deal, I'm gonna let it go or I need to go to God, that's still requiring a discipline. That's still requiring a decision. That's still requiring a mindset in order for you to continue to do the will and the work of God. And so I just think that it's very important for us to know that 
a lot of times when we are creating that discipline, whether it's spiritual discipline or physical, natural discipline, that discipline is going to roll over in other areas of our lives. Like the more spirit discipline I became in my spirituality and my walk with God, God started using those type of examples. Like I'm going to just use that social media thing. God's been telling me to do a social media strategy since 2017. I literally wrote it in my second book. Like, and I told y'all to follow me. Like, I literally wrote that in my second book about the the importance of social media strategy, the importance of consistency, the importance of de- being dedicated and determined for when it and the fruits of it is going to be beneficial to your business. And then I still didn't do that thing. But the moment that issue, the moment that guy like. Cassandra, it's time. Like you got to go live or you got to do this. Or even if I don't want to, because I feel like it was like four weeks ago when he told me to go live and do a impromptu Bible study and release this prophetic word. Yo, I didn't want to, but he would not let me go. I titled it. God wouldn't leave me alone. Like that was the title of the message. And because God knows that if he tells me to do something, I'm all in. Like I'm doing that thing. No hesitation. Like, or even if I hesitate at the end of the day, I'm going to do it. Because it's just my heart and my zeal, my love for God. But and somebody called me out when, when it came to like my health journey over Instagram. And this lady said, she wrote in my DMs and she said to me, she said, what if you took the same discipline that you applied to fasting and praying to your everyday diet, to your everyday lifestyle? And that was just so encouraging to me. Because if I'm fasting and praying, like if God tells me to go on a fast or if I decide I'm going on a fast, it does not matter how much of a headache I have, how hungry I am. If if I'm about to pass out, nothing like nothing's going to make me eat a piece of bread. I don't care. Like I'll be rebuking the devil. I'll be reading the Bible. I'll be laying hands on myself. I'll drink me some water, but I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to fold because I'm doing this thing for God and he's my source. He's my strength. But the moment that like if I make a promise to myself and I'm like, all right, I ain't eating chips for a week and then Doritos is on sale. Like I it ain't that big a deal. Like I'm going to buy them. But when she said that to me, like that same discipline that you apply in the spiritual realm, apply that to your natural. So I know a lot of people and a lot of my friends who are super serious when it comes to the physical discipline, like working out all the time. They living on a routine. They not watching TV. They feeding their brain with books. Like I'm talking about they are super disciplined when it comes to the natural discipline. And I said, re- I remember saying like, yo, if you apply that same dis- discipline to your spiritual life, yo, you'll be unstoppable. And so I think that we can equate like maybe we're disciplined in one area and maybe not so much in other areas. But if we take that same discipline that we have acquired in some areas and apply it to other areas, then it will help us to be more fruitful in whatever God is calling us to do, especially when it comes to like crucifying your flesh, which is just like not just your fleshly desires, but it can be your feelings, your emotions and your decisions. Mm. I didn't know if he was froze. All right, so I think that's it. Um, we can pray out because we went over time, but this was good, Dana. Do you do you have anything that you want to say to the people? Um, people is really loving and liking us up on I mean on Facebook. I ain't even know. <laughs> um, um, so, um, one thing that also stood out to me outside of John, but when I was reading Luke, it talks about when Jesus had to go away and pray. And sorry, I keep looking out the window. I'm looking at the weather. It just got so gray and nasty. I'm trying to see what's going on. It was so gray and nasty here. Then the sun came out and now it's back to gray and nasty, but you can't see because this light making it look like it look good outside. <laughs> but one thing 
uh, that Jesus or that the scriptures mentioned when Jesus was off praying. Well, one, it goes to the discipline that you just mentioned because he told the disciples to pray that they not be, um, you know, attacked with temptation and instead they went to sleep. But anyway, while Jesus was praying, angels came and strengthened him in prayer. And though he was in agony and though he was sweating blood, he was strengthened. So just a word of encouragement that while discipline is hard and not making it seem like it's easy, if you go to God in prayer to build up the discipline and you do it earnestly, he will strengthen you to yeah. build up that discipline because it required discipline to go to the cross. So I think the first step of a discipline is a decision for a fact. And that's one thing that I struggle with because in certain areas, I don't want to be disciplined. And so I have not made the decision to be disciplined. And I think that's what some people struggle with is making the decision to be disciplined, but that's where intercessory prayer comes in. And that's where fasting comes in. And sometimes it's so, so much of a stronghold that you're like, I don't even want to fast. Cause you basically want the thing that God is trying to discipline you. Like you want to sleep more rather than get up and wake up at four o'clock to pray. So you ain't going to fast about God. Give me strength to do this because you don't want to do it. So, you know. That's real. You don't even, I, I didn't even think like that. I never thought about like, let me fast so that I can get into obedience. I don't think I've ever done a fast to get into obedience. Bruh. Because I, I knew what it was. I guess because I, I, it's a whole bunch of things God tells me to do that I ain't did and I ain't even fast about doing it because I don't want to do it. But nah, at least you at least you know what it is, friend. That's where one you have to come up with the decision because one thing you said to me or revealed to me that I can now pose to other people is how much do you love Jesus? And you just asked Peter three times, Do you love me? And if you have that thing that you're not willing to crucify, it's because you love that thing more than you love Jesus. And so I ask you to ask yourself, how much do you love Jesus? That's a good closing, friend. I don't even be knowing I be saying good stuff like that. That'd be God. Well, some of that was scripture too, but okay. Yeah, I'm like, that'd be God. Just like the scripture, that stuff is God. You want to pray us out? Sure. Dear God, thank you for this moment. Thank you for the opportunity to connect in a season and a time where it seems like all we have is disconnect. Thank you for still being the God that sits on the throne. Thank you for still being Jesus that's at the right side. Thank you for still advocating on our behalf. Thank you for still healing and being you. As you are, so shall you be, Lord God, and we believe it. Lord God, thank you for still being the God on the throne that is in control. Thank you for what you're doing and what you will do. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you, God, for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you, God, for not leaving us but sending us your Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for even in the midst between your resurrection and your ascension that you still walked among the disciples and taught and had revelations that we now can use as a blueprint and that we now can use to guide us, Lord God. So thank you. Please forgive us for our sins, all knowing sins, all unknowing sins, things that we do consciously, subconsciously, things that we do willingly and unwillingly, unwillingly Lord God, please forgive them. Please forgive us. 
Thank you for dying on the cross for our ability to be forgiven. Lord God, as we come to you now, I ask that you work through every soul that is listening to this live, that it touched them deep down in their spirit and their soul so that it might be stirred up, Lord God. Speak to the disbelief, speak to the unbeliever, increase their faith, have an encounter with them so they might get to know you in a new way that they can't deny you. Use this season in your time to build and prepare and train and give rest to those who need, Lord God. Lord God, help us in our disobedience, strengthen us in our disobedience. Strengthen us that we might have the will and the desire to come to you and to die to our flesh and to say, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Give us the strength to be like you. Give us the strength to be followers of you and give us the revelation to realize where we are in our spiritual walk, recognize our heart posture. Lord God, put us in a posture to hear. Hey, Jasmine. And Lord God, let us have hearts that are after your own so that when you ask us, do you love us? We can say yes. Yeah. In Jesus' name, I pray and for his sake. Amen. Amen. We should entitle this, Do You Love God? Oh, like this today's live? Yeah. I'm going to put, I love God. Oh, I should add some music. All right. So that is our conclusion of today's um What'd you say? The conclusion of a Thursday thing. Oh, this is the conclusion of a Thursday thing. A Thursday thing. Also, girl, oh, I can't wait to do a new flyer. But I'm just, um, I just want to thank you for joining me. Thank you for your yes to God. Oh, my bad. Thank you for your your yes to God, Dana. Thank you, Instagram, for joining us. Um, even I, I, it ended and you guys came back. So we love y'all. We thank y'all so much. Um, Facebook, we thank you guys for tuning in for over an hour. We hope that it has blessed you and you have received a lot of instruction. We'll be back next Thursday to do another thing. Um, and I want to thank Dana personally because I, I know I had a lot of questions today and I feel like you were really spirit led. I'm definitely going to do some more research on that lamb thing, but equating it to sin. That just was like, I was trying to keep my composure for the people, but I was like, it was like mind blowing, like, girl, because <laughs> I just was like, yeah, that must be unbelievers. But, you know, your breakdown of that thing, I feel like gave me greater revelation. So just thank you, friend. Um, I'm about to be in your inbox soon. So we love y'all. Y'all have a great and prosperous day and week. Happy resurrection. Um, but I'll be back tomorrow. It's my second favorite season after Pentecost. I'm so excited for Good Friday. Oh, yeah. Your church doing something live? No, they did it on Sunday already, so I'm going to either rewatch it tomorrow and find another one. One of the things that me and my mom have been doing um, is we've been taking communion every day together. I think that that's something that we can all implement, um, just just putting you in remembrance of God and what he did. And I, I think that it's really great because they say as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And I think that this isn't going to be something that I'm just doing like in this season or throughout this um, Holy Week or Resurrection Week, but it's something that I'm going to probably is my desire. So I'm going to make the decision so that I can create the discipline to do it every um, day for the rest of my life in Jesus name. But yeah, like that's so good. I wish, I wish um, number four, Huh? What'd you say? That's good. Your desire led to a decision that led to discipline. Yeah, girl, the rain just fell down. Wait.
that's so good i think we need that need to be its own video i'm gonna hang up and so we can go black so that people can just watch us talk about that because that needs to be its own little clip oh that was good but yeah so the desire led to the decision which creates creates the discipline um but yeah so i want to pray the prayer of salvation just for anybody who may be under the sound of our voice who has not accepted jesus christ as lord and savior now is the perfect time for you to do so um, you do not have to go through this life lost or alone or afraid or confused. Like Dana quoted earlier that God, uh, Jesus came that we may have life and to live it more abundantly. God specifically said that he sent his son so that we can have everlasting life. And so God sent his son so that we could have life after death. And Jesus came so that we can have we can live while on earth. And I don't mean to always quote this, but it's just so real because Nicki Minaj said this in one of her songs. She said, everybody dies, but not everybody lives. And Jesus came just so that we can live. That's why it's called born again, so that you can not be spiritually dead, but spiritually alive. So if you would like to pray the prayer of salvation, you can just repeat after me. I also make sure that I include a prayer of repentance, which is just acknowledgement that you have sinned, that we have done wrong. But God is such a gracious and a forgiving God that at the moment that we ask for forgiveness then and turn from our wicked ways, he forgives us. But even it doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that we're always going to get it right. It doesn't mean that we're going to immediately stop cursing or having sex or drinking or smoking. But what it does mean is that like, God, I'm done trying to do life on my own. I'm ready to surrender all and say that you can let's do it together. Like, let's do this thing called life together. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit, like Jesus said in the Holy Spirit, uh, I mean, in the Bible that when he or Dana shared this with us earlier, is that when Jesus ascended into heaven, when he went to heaven, God sent the Holy Spirit to live on the inside of us. And so we want to make sure that um, we take advantage of the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit is our helper, our comforter, our teacher. He gives us the divine and direct two-way communication between ourselves and God that even the enemy cannot understand. You can get a heightened sense of discernment. So a lot of times when we're going through seasons of feeling like we can't hear God or we don't know what he's saying, well, we can pray. And then we can build that relationship with him. The Holy Spirit also provides us with so many blessings and so many benefits of, as far as boldness, as far as edification, you can build your faith. All of these things and gifts come through the Holy Spirit. If you have any questions, you can slide in my DMs and I can send you this PDF Bible study that I taught a year or two ago. So if you would like to receive salvation and be filled with the Holy Spirit, you can just repeat after, repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for my sins. Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross, for conquering death, hell, and the grave. Please forgive me for where I have went wrong and all the sins I have committed against you. Holy Spirit, I welcome you into my heart. Fill me until I overflow. I cast out doubt, fear, and all questions of uncertainty, and I call faith to arise right now in jesus name i pray amen amen hi travis travis said yes red love color color yeah, <laughs> all right y'all all right did you say anything else no i just said hey travis was talking about you earlier yeah he gone now all right love y'all bye instagram
Facebook, I am about to hop off of here and then me and Dana are gonna hop right back on so that you can get this two minute clip because we need the people to know about this two minute clip. All right, love y'all, bye. Who am I? Am I ready? Am I called?